Hi, this is Sedge Thompson. Welcome to this special audio highlights podcast from West Coast Live. For more information about our shows and other guests and podcasts, wcl.org. I'd like to welcome now uh, back here to the, the stage here at West Coast Live, Raj Patel and Ray Offenheiser of Oxfam. And what I would like, stay, you can stay there, and then uh, I'd like the three of you to ask a question of one of the other if you've got a question. So Raj and Ray, I was trying to think of another R, Ariane Alice, <laughs> I don't know. Anyway, um, so uh, you, you all come from different sort of perspectives. The, the large NGO working with, with uh, around the world and throughout the North America, food thought uh, and economic distribution and really very locally. I mean, do you have a question for, who would like to have a question of one of the others here? I think one of the things we struggle at at Oxfam is how do we, how might we better link the global, the concerns about the global food system with the local concerns people have about good nutrition in the schools and the sort of broader discussion about obesity in, in, the, in our own country where there's a lot of political and social energy right now. How can we make those two worlds come together? Well, um, I think it really comes um, through um, uh, uh, how, do, how do I go? Uh, I guess I'm counting a lot on uh, the President of the United States deciding, like Kennedy did back in the 60s, that the crisis of, of health, hunger, the environment are so extreme that we have to uh, institute a program of edible education into the public school system, like Kennedy did with physical education, and that we have to ask everyone to participate in that uh, and feed, every, put all of the money towards that preventative, in that preventative educational place. And I know it's a lot to expect that those words are going to be um, really expressed in the context of, of, of uh, uh, with the passion and, and, and the urgency that's needed but I have great hope that they will. And it means that all of us as activists have to come with a united voice. It's why I'm so, I was so excited that you were on the panel here from Oxfam. I, I've loved working with Raj uh, for many years, but the issue of hunger uh, it just has to be married in this place of education, because it, it, we all have to go back to school, and we have to grow up in a different way. I mean, and I don't see any other way, and I am working with every um, organization that, that is working in other countries 
that is trying to encourage these building of food communities that are not just about feeding people, but that are a big cultural picture of what it is to be nourished. Um, and I guess I'm a little um, nervous about being on this panel with the two of you. <laughs> I, I think. <laughs> the point. Uh, uh, there was a. Uh, uh, back in back in the eighties, I, I interviewed John Kenneth Galbraith, and he thought that his he he uh, he majored in agricultural economics, and that was his specialty uh, as an economist. And his theory was that uh, literacy was the cure to hunger because people could read instructions on how to do things and follow planting measurements, so on and so forth. What is your take on that, Raj? Well, I certainly think if, if there's one policy that's going to uh, increase incomes in, uh, for, for households, that's going to increase life expectancy, that's going to uh, mean that children are better off, then there's one policy that we can all agree on, and that's women's education. Um, and I think that, that women and girls' education is just a no-brainer. But it doesn't strike me that necessarily that that education has to be directed towards reading the instructions on seed packets from Monsanto. Um, I, I think that there's a lot of uh, wisdom and knowledge in the global south that often gets overridden by sometimes well-intentioned efforts to feed the world. Uh, and what I'm excited about is that that knowledge uh, find its expression that, that women in, in villages not only get to read the seed packets, but get to write them. Uh, but that means uh, changing the way that power works. But that's, that's what activism's about. You have a question for one of the, your colleagues? Well, yeah, I, I'm, I'm interested in um, the power of corporations sort of shaping our choices. And I, I guess the, you know, when, when I think of Pepsi, for example, engaging in their sort of rebranding efforts, I, I, I wonder whether, well, what both you, Ray, and you, Alice, think of uh, the role of corporations, you know, for example, in, in shaping our food choices. And I guess I'm really thinking of the, the Bloomberg thing happening in New York at the moment uh, and about that, that sort of soda tax. So yeah, I, I'd just like to know what, what, what y'all think of the way corporations behave as sort of citizens in our food system. Well, I think uh, at Oxman, we've actually been sort of tackling that issue in the last 10 years or so, and, and we actually have developed a, a private sector team that's working on these issues. And one of the, some of the things we've learned is that for many years, there's been sort of a focus on sort of a conversation about corporate social responsibility without much, you know, sort of, if you will, regulatory teeth behind it <clears throat> uh, of the sort that sort of you, you, you might say the Bloomberg approaches uh, would suggest. And... Um, to some degree, I think the corporations now have become much more sensitized to the fact that the public is watching um, and the public cares and that their brands are very uh, vulnerable. And, um, but where I think our activist community maybe has not been as sort of smart as perhaps we could be is actually going after the business models of the companies and the value chains and the supply chains of those corporations and actually asking sort of what's, you know, are those supply chains working in the best interests of um, the people they're supposed to serve? And maybe returning to the idea that corporations are licensed public trusts 
and they should be serving the commonweal. Um, we've sort of lost track of that sort of core value. And um, uh, as a human rights development organization, one of the things we often um, uh, are, are thinking about is this whole discussion about corporations as, in, as individuals and the fact that now corporations are having their own conversations about whether their own human rights are being you know, protected. Um, and uh, I, I've, sat in this, I've sat in some business meetings where there have been discussions about um, the human rights of corporations, and it almost seems a little absurd. Uh, uh, who speaks up on their behalf nowadays? Is there a... <laughs> Alice, you have a question. Well, I mean, who speaks up on the behalf of children? And that's, it's something so wrong to feed children food in schools that's not good for them. And it's, uh, it, it's really a, um, it's a moral issue in my mind. And we have to act on that. And we have to really um, go deeply into it. Now, just deciding we're going to put a, a tax on soda um, is not enough. But we need to put a tax on soda because we need to expose the kinds of, of um, how should we say, deception that that is is in that in that drink, and what the size used to be, and what the size is now, and what we're paying for, and what we're paying for really in our health. Now, I thought it was it's going to be very interesting to see with our healthcare law that's come into place. Um, how are we going to pay for this? We're going to have to go to a preventative place. We, I, I think it's just a, a, a logical in terms of, of, of uh, the finances uh, of the government that we have to go to that place. Because once you, you know, you're talking about one in three kids is going to get diabetes. One in three. One in seven comes into kindergarten obese. One in seven right now. And once you get to that place, it's really hard to come back from it. So we have to go and really to the place of school lunch. I thought I might just pose a question for all of us, you know, in thinking about how we unify our efforts and become part of a sort of a global social movement. Oxfam at the moment is is implementing a, a global cam a food security campaign called Grow that has a variety of different components to it. And one of the sort of underlying sort of questions we're asking ourselves is whether, in fact, we might find some unity of purpose around sort of some core concepts like sustainability. Raj talked a bit about earlier. But one of the things actually some countries have actually done is they've inscribed the notion that there should be a right to food uh, as a core sort of principle in their society. India, I believe, has done that, Raj, if I'm not mistaken. And I wonder whether it might be, you know, to get to where I think, Alice, you want to take us, whether it might be, it might bring together the organic movement and the, lo the, the local purchase movement and the slow food movement and the international um, uh, agencies that work on these issues, if we sort of unified around the notion uh, of a right to food as a basic principle of good health and good nutrition in the United States. 
Can I just jump in there just because most countries, in fact, every country there was a vote in the UN a couple of years back where the, the, the right to food, which is already part of the Universal Declaration of Human Rights, was reaffirmed. And the, the only country that voted against was the United States. Um, so uh, th there is that right. But, but I think often when people hear the right to food, uh, they're, they're, they're sort of slightly agog and wondering what, what that would look like. Um, and a lot of the movements that, that I think we all work with uh, have this idea that not only do we need the right to food, but we need control over food. Because to some extent right now, you know, the, the right to food can look like the rights that prisoners enjoy in prison. They have a right to food, they get the, you know, they get the food every day, but they have no control over that food, no control over how it's produced or what it is or how it reaches them or how to make sure that everyone gets enough. Uh, so one of the, what increasingly a few countries are, do, are doing is moving not just to, to endorse the right to food, but to talk about this idea of food sovereignty, that what we need ultimately is democracy in our food system, that we need to reclaim control from the powers that be at the moment so that we can have something we've never had in our food before, which is a democratic discussion about how everyone gets to eat. And I think that that right to food and that idea of food sovereignty bound up together can, can absolutely bind us together. You have a question for any of, any of the malice? I do have a question. <laughs> um, and I, I just have an agreement, uh, because I really think that good food is a right and not a privilege. And it really should be understand what constitutes food. You know, I, 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 I was really shocked to hear about, you know, the way that food travels um, uh, to, to feed uh, in, a, in a famine. Um, uh, people in in Africa. I mean, it really is shocking to hear about how that where that money goes and how it's spent. Uh, and then, what is that food that they're sending? Uh, is that uh, GMO corn, or is that is that something really nutritious? And I think that that this idea of a criteria, and maybe I. I I was thinking, maybe this is a conversation for the Supreme Court, you know? <laughs> Truly, to have uh, Sotomayor, um, someone who has diabetes, who really understands this, and uh, could speak up for it, that, that, that we, 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 we really have to go to that place. And I, I, having just been to um, Monticello, and uh, we did dinner there in the garden in Monticello, I, I was just, uh, again, sort of swept away by the, uh, the Jeffersonian, uh, the, the way that he ate, and the way that he integrated that into his life and, and the priorities he had. I mean, it was so profound. And, and he considered it so precious. And Washington, too. And uh, we, we need to dig it up again. We need to come back to those values. You're talking about sort of prototypical American values we've left, we need to retain. Uh, I want to thank, uh, unless you have a burning thing to say right at the moment here, you've, you've all been so articulate and thoughtful. Do you have one other thing, Raj? 
I, I have so many things. <laughs> well, his books, his books, his books. I want to thank uh, Ray Offenheiser, president of Oxfam America. Raj Patel, author Alice Waters, founder of Edible Schoolyard Project and a Chez Panisse, an activist. All of you for being here in our discussion today. Thank you. Thanks very much. Thank you. Big hand for you. This is Edge Thompson. Thanks for listening to this podcast. Try out others from West Coast Live right here, and we look forward to having you in one of our audiences one day. For more information, wcl.org.